Welcome to the Training Design Podcast. 45 minutes-ish of practical tips and insights on training design with me, Terry Pierce of Untold Play. And me, Sheridan Webb of the Training Designers Club. So a lot of these topics, we start with a definition of terms. What is that thing? But today's topic, evaluation. Uh, I'm not sure what is evaluation is maybe the most pressing question. Maybe the most pressing question is how often do we do evaluation? Yeah, and, 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 but I think it is a fair question as well. What exactly do we mean by evaluation? Because I think it means different things to different people, doesn't it, Terry? Mm. Um, you know, you, you can, well, I mean, if, if we will get into the different definitions and the different ways of evaluating, but it is such a huge topic. And, and it's one of those really crucial topics that I don't actually think we've cracked yet, um, which is why I wanted to talk about it today. Mm. And I wanted to start off really with a question, a question for you and a question for the listeners, really. How many of us um, properly evaluate training or impact its measure on the business? I mean, what do you think the answer to that question would be if we did a straw poll of all organizations out there today? Yeah, I think if a lot of organizations were being honest, they'd have to say that they don't do enough of it or they don't do the right kind of it. I mean, if mm. you think about those different levels of evaluation that level one in the Kirkpatrick model that kind of happy sheet did people enjoy the day gets done almost everywhere but then (laughs) beyond that do we always do it I think there are a lot of reasons for that you've probably got your own ideas about why yeah yeah um I mean I attended um an international virtual conference really and this was um I attended a session on evaluation and forgive me I haven't got the source data from that but I did make a note that the speakers there um it was um Will Falheimer and Clark Quinn or Quinn Clark um so they're quite well known that they're over in the states um but they said that only five percent of organizations regularly measure the business impact of training the regularly measure and it doesn't surprise me it's terrible (laughs) but it doesn't surprise me no and and here in the UK I mean uh, it's 2017 report I'm sure it's been updated since then but the towards maturity report said that 97 percent of organizations wanted to improve the way they evaluate training and that, to me, just says so much. It says that everyone thinks it's important, but it's never urgent, um, so it never actually gets done properly. Or there are always, I don't know, more pressing things to do. It's, you know, it's where do we start? So I think those stats just tell a story all on their own. Yeah, I wonder if it's as well something around people, you know, whose job is it? So it getting yeah. lost between the cracks. I mean, we're thinking about all this from a learning designer point of view, and, and I think we should be. I think learning designers should be designing how it's going to be evaluated into the program. But I think often it's just left to some of the L&D function people, some of the people behind the scenes perhaps, or it's just left to, oh, we'll think about that when we get there. Yeah. And and that's a really interesting question, actually, Terry. And it's not one that I considered talking about, but I'm glad you brought it up. Um, And that is who are the right people to evaluate training anyway? I mean, should it be the people who designed and deliver it? Because we're perhaps biased. Should it be um, an independent body? And if so, how do they know what they're looking for? So all sorts of questions. And I think it leads into one of the, well, the three main reasons as to why I think um, businesses don't evaluate training as, as well as they ought to. And for one, there's too many contributing factors. Um, So it's, we can provide someone with some training on something, but that training very rarely happens in isolation. There are all sorts of other things that, that go on. So maybe at the same time we're doing some training, maybe communications improved, maybe process efficiency has improved. Maybe there's been some sort of technical update, which makes things easier 
maybe the market has changed. Now, there are all these factors um, that sit alongside the training. And as you already alluded to, I think it's very time consuming to, to mm -hmm. evaluate training effectively. It, uh, and, you know, people, even large organizations don't have L&D professionals sitting around with nothing to do. You know, mm. they design a program, they deliver a program, and they don't have time to just sit back and reflect, which is a shame because I think they would get a lot of value from that, but the resources just aren't there. And the, the other thing which is sort of linked into that is that it's costly to, mm. to do that because if you've got people going about evaluating and um, measuring stuff, they're not doing value-added things, um, you know, that can maybe bring revenue for the business. And of course, as externals, as, as you and I both are, I mean, certainly I, in most of my proposals, I write in an option to go in and do an evaluation study. I have yet to have it taken up because of the costs involved. Yeah, it's quite rare. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been involved in some things where we've done levels beyond that kind of happy sheet. How do people like it? Uh, mm. And often I've not been directly involved. Uh, I think I've only ever really seen one organization in that kind of consulting setup that's actually come back and said yeah we want the fullest kind of evaluation that you can possibly manage we want a proper evaluation study at all four levels of Kirkpatrick and uh you know we want to spend a lot of money on it I mean, yeah. I've really seen one yeah I mean I, I've got um, a couple of examples where I have been able to do it and I'll share those um, a little bit later and perhaps share your example as well at that time, because I do want to think about from a practical level, as you can imagine with me, it's like, okay, so when we roll our sleeves up, how are we actually going to go about and make a difference um, in terms of evaluation? Um, so when I think, you know, we all agree it's a good thing um, to do some evaluation because at the very least, um, I mean, and this links back to, you know, conversations we've had on continuous improvement and design thinking and all that sort of thing it will help us to you know, keep improving um, and learning from the, what's gone in the past. But going back to this conference that I went to um, quite recently, they started off with a question as to what exactly should we be measuring? And the debate was um, couched in the terms, should we be measuring learning or impact? And I know what my gut reaction to that was. And I'd be interested to know what yours was, Terry. Should we measure learning or impact? Well, I think that goes back to your uh, first point about the difficulties in evaluation, about things being hard to isolate, because the further you go away from what happens in the room and what, happen, what happens in people's heads, the harder it is to isolate. You know, I can isolate mm -hmm. relatively well whether you learn a, a specific thing that I can measure in a, in a kind of Bloom's taxonomy kind of way. But is it, you know, did you make a business impact with that? Like, and that goes right back to all the examples you were giving then, you know, of different things that could have contributed to any impact that you do see. So I think in terms of should, yeah, we should be measuring business impact, but it's just so tough that I think a lot of people give up or don't bother. Yeah. Yeah. I th I, yeah. I, I agree with you completely. And on this debate, they, they defined the two and it's probably a bit unfair of me there to ask the question without giving you the definition. <laughs> um, learning is the internal change that happens within a person. Mm. Whereas impact is the external change that we can see and affect the organization. And what you were saying there is, is sort of the conclusion that we came to is the fact that, you know, the learning um, is the start of the journey. And without that learning, we can't have that business impact um, because the learning is, is sort of is central to that. 
Um, but the business impact is further down the line. We don't always know exactly when it's going to happen. It might show itself differently, but it comes back to that interesting debate in, in why are we asked to do training in the first place? And it's usually to bring about a business change. So businesses are interested in impact. What is within our capability as an L&D team? And it's learning. Mm. So it is that, um, so in terms of, you know, what is it realistic to measure? Um, like say the learning, we should very easily be able to do that. But then we are hoping and praying and um, that that learning will be applied appropriately to have the business impact and for that we are sort of trusting um, and this links into the 12 levers of learning effectiveness that we've talked about in season yeah. one as well um, you know, support from peers support from managers mm. the opportunity to apply um, and uh, it, it's all you know wrapped up together isn't it yeah absolutely i think there's something quite interesting there as well about the topic. So I think for some topics, it's much easier or harder to isolate. So the one where I was saying that the uh, the client was really happy to do it at the deepest level was actually for uh, a performance management and appraisal, uh, I still use that old word appraisal, <laughs> uh, performance and, and development review scheme yeah. training. So that's actually relatively easy to isolate some of the business differences. You know, they wanted people to do things like do more performance reviews yeah. and have those performance reviews more of them signed off without going to kind of some adjudication or you know grand grandfather sign off or whatever yeah so grandparents sign off so um those things i think are, are, are easier to isolate and attribute to the training but yes. some things much harder yeah it is and it, it all links back again as you've, as you've already alluded to it links back to the importance of getting that training needs analysis right mm. Because I don't know about you, but I've been given some pretty vague um, briefs in the past. Um, I, I can never remember that one person in this analogy, because it was such a long time ago. Um, I was asked to design some training that would help people go from being, um, want them to be less Russell Harty and more Johnny Vaughan. Yeah, I don't know who Russell Harty is. Yeah, yeah I'm, old, I'm older <laughs> than you. Um, real old school, um, you know, chat show host, real, right. you know, way before Graham Norton, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, not as good as Parky. Um, so it, it was that sort of bit of a cheesy host. Sure. So, um, yeah, that's so not very, not very measurable anyway. <laughs> it's definitely not very measurable. So the training needs analysis was, uh, was quite tricky in that respect. Um, but the importance of, of getting that right. And, you know, and I think, the vast majority of our listeners will already be bought into the fact that if we are going to do some sort of evaluation, we need to build those measures in right from the very start. It's so much harder if evaluation is something that's thought of as an afterthought. Yeah, so, absolutely. We put yeah. the milepost in place and then we try and hit them and see whether we're hitting them rather than look back and try and estimate vaguely from afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So, so getting those really specific differences um, articulated um, mm. during the research phase is absolutely critical because then it's very easy, isn't it, for us to go, I don't turn to train this analysis, but we can then very easily say, well, we can affect this by training, we can't affect that by training. Mm. So let's yeah. focus on what we can do rather than what, you know, what, what we can't. And that is going to help us focus the training and therefore measure the effectiveness of it. Yeah, we're talking about closing that loop, really. You know, we've said yeah. at the start, what are we trying to achieve with the training? And that's really what evaluation should measure, did we? Yes, absolutely. And it's getting that clarity up front. Yeah. 
Um, the one thing that certainly comes across with, um, I hate to use the word, but, you know, the more behavioral training, the, the soft skills, as it used to be known, um, is that not all training needs are quantitative. So it's mm. very easy. I think you say, well, we want our, our customer service advisors to um, resolve 85% of queries on the first call. And currently we're only resolving 65%. That's quite an easy thing to measure, but to improve our, um, our communication skills, you know, to improve our um, engagement. These are much harder things to actually put numbers on. I know you mm. can have engagement surveys, um, but not everything can be measured in that quantitative way. And I think that creates a challenge sometimes for the evaluation. Yeah, I think that's really tough. I'm quite interested in, I've seen quite a few things uh, gaining currency like big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs and uh, o- <laughs> o- OKRs, which I can't, I can't remember what the OKR stands Objectives for. and key results. That's right. I know, I do know about OKRs. Yes. I've got a friend who specializes in it. <laughs> and there's a number of these things which actually I think now are starting to acknowledge and being used by businesses, if not so much by L&D just yet, starting to acknowledge that sometimes having a goal which is not quite, you know, quantifiable, not quite smart, can allow us to aim for some things that are really, really worthwhile and, and might get ignored otherwise. But yeah, they're going to be harder to evaluate. Yeah. And I think you've just brought it back to the fact that why evaluation doesn't happen as often as it should is because it can be quite difficult. Um, so what do we measure as generally? We measure what's easy to measure. Mm-hmm. And what's easy to measure? All the things that appear on the happy sheet. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy it? Um, you know, was it useful? Um, you know, what was the food like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of those sort of, what were the materials like? Did you think the visual aids were good? Because I spent days doing those. You know, <laughs> so please tell mm. me they were good. And I can't remember the exact quote. So this is this is this ought to be um, plastered all over the podcast. Really, it's like what I always say. I can't remember the exact quote. Um, but it was along the lines of an att- attendance on a course or completion does not mean we've learned. Mm. Um, and learning doesn't necessarily mean we can apply. So when we are just saying, well, 98% of our people attended the complaints handling course. So what, you know, what, what is that actually telling us in terms of how effective that was? Very, very little. Yeah. Is, is there something there as well about who takes on the risk? So if you have evaluation, you have the chance to fail in some way in that evaluation. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the ideal situation is you've got a culture and you've got everyone on the same boat saying, well, we want to know when we failed so that we can fix it and continuously improve. That's the ideal. But if you've got this kind of thing where you've got the external consultant and they don't want to be seen in a bad light, or you've got different departments and, and you know, they don't want to be the one to blame, then maybe everyone's got a vested interest in happy sheets or something simple which will get sign off and ticks and everyone will be able to pat themselves on the back yeah i think there's a couple of factors there terry um that you just brought out and i'm just trying to think is there any other department or any other industry where the evaluation where the measurement is so personal Mm. because we measure sales we measure customer satisfaction we measure product quality but when we measure training, we are, it is very personal. It's a very small number of people. Um, and you can identify the people who have delivered that in 80% of the cases. Mm. So yeah, if, if I'm criticizing the training, I feel like I'm criticizing you. Mm. Um, and therefore, you know, even if I am asked, am I going to give a truthful answer? Mm. Yeah, no, I think there's something to that. Yeah, 
uh, and on both the part of the trainer, perhaps in the room, if it's a, if it's a, a face-to-face training session, mm. but also to a lesser extent, the designer. Yeah. We, we like to have numbers to justify what we've done. So I think sometimes we've, we've invested a lot of time in developing a solution. Um, we've taken a lot of care with it. We've put a lot of our heart and soul into it. Um, so is there a tendency to seek numbers that will make a nice pretty chart that will tell the story that we want to tell? Which is another aspect of evaluation, of course, is that we don't always have to use data. We can use stories. It's interesting. I, I just started to think that as you said it, actually. Yeah, our minds working in the same way. Mm. Yeah, I think that, that that's really interesting because time and again, when I talk to people about anything connected with presenting or influencing, talk about how storytelling makes more of an impact than data. And then evaluation you know, tends to be focusing on that data. So maybe it tends to move people a lot less uh, mm-hmm. and that, that actually it's stories we want we want to hear we want to hear the story of how well the course went not the data on how many people learn x or y from it mm. i think there's a reason that we've been pushed down the data route and it comes back to return on investment because obviously training is an investment mm. some would see mm. it as a cost and and quite rightly you know if you're going to be spending a lot of money on your training you want to know that it's going to be worthwhile of course you do um, and i have got um, an example of that that i'll share a little bit later but also, um, I know a telephone skills trainer um, who was asked, you know, well, show me the return on the investment. And, you know, you, you never know when exactly that return is going to come sometimes. Mm. Um, but what this telephone trainer had was recordings of one of the delegates before and after and mm. was just able to play those recordings to the stakeholder and say, well, this is Barry before his training. This is Barry after his training. And the, the stakeholder went, that's fine, carry on. Because yeah. just the way that Barry was handling those calls and the way he was coming across was clearly so much better in every respect. His confidence, what he was saying, how he was handling objections, how he was approaching it. They could see that he was using all the right behaviours that would eventually bring the right results. Mm. Just that necessarily the results hadn't necessarily come in yet. Yeah, I think that's really good, actually. I think that links to some of the things that I talk about to people about uh, or, or include in training around objective setting is that sometimes what you want to set is a measure of quality like you know this is how it looks this is how it sounds and a description a standard mm. and uh that's what they're doing there. they're saying okay, the standard for calls is like this and we took someone from you know clearly somewhere behind that to, mm. to to reaching it yeah so it it does depend doesn't it what the learning is going to be focusing on as to how we evaluate it and i think a qualitative a descriptive um outcome Mm. can be more powerful and is definitely more relevant in some situations than just chasing numbers for chasing numbers sake Mm, definitely i mean i i got really into evaluation um a few years ago i was actually going to do um a, a really detailed course you know like you're you're doing your detailed course on gamification i was mm. going to go down this route um i don't know if i've told you this before but it may surprise you that um many many years ago when i was a student half my degree was in maths okay that's great you, you wouldn't believe that about me now i can't mm. even do gcse <laughs> um, <laughs> um but there was something in me that loved the rigor I think. Um, so I thought, well, I'm in training now and sometimes it feels a little bit fluffy. So I'm going to go down the, the rigorous route. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't go down that route in the end because it was quite an expensive route to go down. And the fact, as we've already said, a lot of organizations don't want to spend the time, the money in order to do that. Mm. But it does make me think uh, just again, 
trying to put in metrics where they're perhaps not always the best thing. But where there are suitable metrics, we should not be scared of using them and we should be able to hold, you know, hold ourselves accountable to them. Absolutely. So um, it probably wouldn't be right to have a podcast on learning evaluation without at least touching on some of the models. Um, you've mentioned Kirkpatrick a couple of times already, which is, I think, you know, the one that we are all familiar with and certainly the one that we are most likely to use. Um, which has the, um, the the four and sometimes a fifth level of reaction to the training, learning, job performance, business impact. It's sometimes topped off with um, return on investment. But I think technically that's someone else's model, um, but it, it, it is often a fifth level. Um, and I've got um, a, a practical guide to that, as you can imagine, with me um, on my Keystone Development website, mm. um, which you can get as a free download. Yeah. There are... Um, there are a few more, believe it or not, and I did look into them. Some of them are very, very similar. Um, so mm. there's one by one called LTEM, which is by this Will Falheimer, whose debate, whose, whose lecture I, I told you I went to. So this is an eight-level process, and I won't go through it in, in detail. So it's, it's LTEM stands for the Learning Transfer Evaluation Model. Mm. And the, these eight levels basically cover four areas. Um, so they, they cover knowledge, um, so decision and then decision making. So it's how do you choose to use that knowledge? Um, then links into task competence. So how well do you apply that into what you do? And then business impact. And he actually mm -hmm. breaks it down into eight different levels. So that's a good one to look to look at, I think, which again, it follows this linear path. And it does assume that the learning leads to application, leads to business impact. Mm. So that's all part of the design. One that's quite different, and I haven't looked into this in detail, I'll be totally honest with you, but it, it's it, I read enough for it to spark my interest, is called the Brinkerhoff model. Mm, um, and from, have you come across that? Um, I think I have. Uh, well, you probably have because you read so much. Tell me a little bit about it, see if you can um, jog my memory. Well, from what I can make out, it's a case study-based evaluation method. So mm. they they do and it doesn't just apply to training but it is something that can be applied to training so and it and i think it's quite holistic in its whole approach so it's where we do some training and then we go and observe or speak to people who have had that training hmm. um, and we identify cases where there's been a positive change and cases where there hasn't been a positive change and basically, you then go and do a bit of an analysis as to why. So they both had the same training. You know, what happened here to make it go well? And what happened here, which meant that they couldn't make the same differences? And that links into the whole design thinking again. But I quite like that because it's quite holistic and it's not, it's taking the training as part of a whole. Mm. That does sound really interesting, actually. Yeah, no, you, you're bringing some memories back now, and I haven't looked at it in great detail, but I like the way that that is, it seems to me almost more of an approach yeah. than a, a model. model in the same way that, uh, that Kirkpatrick or, or LTEM is. Yeah. An approach to actually kind of, uh, an approach to the whole, the whole thing of evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, the, the other reason I like that, and it's a point I was going to make later, but I'll make it now in case I forget, is that when we are evaluating training, is it actually right that we evaluate it in isolation? Mm. Because as an L&D team or as an L&D supplier, we are providing part of a business improvement approach, part of a solution 
Mm. So maybe everybody involved in that solution, we should be evaluated together as a team. So, you know, yes, the trainings are part of it, but also, you know, the the process people are a part of it. The communications people are a part of it. You know, Mm. it's, it's how did we all work together Mm. to help those people to actually apply the training and improve their business results? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that more holistic approach is probably really worthwhile. I mean, some, sometimes we need to figure out, you know, c- can we justify X expenditure? But perhaps, yeah, we should be looking at it as a, a slice of a bigger pie rather than mm. something to look at in its own right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's quite brave because we're that used to justifying our own existence mm. um, yeah. to actually share that, share the success and share the failure. And you know, not every organization is ready for that. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it goes back to that risk stuff that we were talking about as well. You know, it's people covering their own backs, this silo thinking rather than, uh, you know, joined up. Yeah. Yeah. So that is an interesting one. The the other model um, is, is Kaufman's model, um, which again, that this is a, is a sequential thing. It feels again, quite similar to Kirkpatrick, which is, I think is why we always keep going back to it. Um, And that has um, input and process. So what are the training resources and, you know, materials available to people? How was that content delivered? So it actually splits the two down really. Um, Mm. Then it's acquisition. So, so did they actually acquire new knowledge and skills application? Were they able to apply it? then it's organizational results. But what I liked about this one is mm. it's as a level five, it's not the return on investment. So we've got the, you know, the pure financial one with um, potentially with, with Kirkpatrick. Um, but the level five here is societal or customer consequences. Mm. Interesting. Mm. So that external perspective. So have, has anybody else noticed that things have changed? Yeah, that's good. I have to say with models of evaluation, I sometimes do look at them and think, I don't know. I think one of the reasons that Kirkpatrick stayed around for so many years and is still referenced is that it's so fundamental. Mm. And as soon as I start looking at LTEM or Kaufman, I start thinking, well, you're really just either kind of rebadging or subdividing the four levels of of Kirkpatrick because they are pretty fundamental. You know, did, did did I like it? Did I learn from it? Did I make a difference with it in a kind of localized environment or did I make a difference in a, in a wider environment? Mm. That's really the four things you can say about it. So yeah. just slicing the, the cake a little bit differently with different models, which is not to say they're not useful, but yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think, it, you know, you, you've got to find the one that, that suits mm. your organization and what it is you're providing training in, but you, you're quite right. I think overall, they're all variations of Kirkpatrick. So we talked a little bit about models, but we pride ourselves on being a practical podcast. So yes. have you got some examples that you'd like to share about how some of the things we just talked about in theory have worked for you in practice? Yeah, sure. And, and, and you'll have your own, you'll be able to add mm. to this as well, Terry, for sure. So the level one reaction, which is typically what's measured by happy sheets. And we might say, well, why, you know, in, in 2020, why are we still doing this? And I don't know about you, Terry, but I don't anymore unless the client asks. You'd be surprised how often the client does ask um, because I know whether the training went well or not. Mm. You know, wh- what is it telling me? I, so I can say on my social media, oh, you know, it averaged nine and a half out of ten. You know, that's, that's nothing. So, you know, re- well, I have, I have my own views about reaction. Um, mm. But the reason that that level one reaction is there is that it's about the emotional engagement, isn't it? So if people are engaged in the learning, 
they are far more likely to remember it and therefore apply it. So that's why it's included and that's why it's important. It on its own isn't enough. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about how it can help with the learning. It's not just, did they have a nice day? It's, yeah, were they emotionally engaged and therefore was any learning likely to land well? I think that's a really good point. Mm. Uh, I don't think I've ever done any training where I didn't measure that at all. I think it's just nice to have the validation to some extent of whatever you might be have, have picked up yourself. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just say, I'd, say I've gone away from the happy sheets. I've gone away from the scoring out of 10. I actually prefer um, a, a narrative. Mm. So, you know, what's the one th- So I'll, I'll often ask, what, what did you enjoy? What did you find useful? What's the one thing you would change? And I find that a lot more valuable to me. Um, yeah than just getting a, a, a score that's good um, but in terms of um reactions so you'll, you'll love the first point that i have terry um mm. is if we can include games <laughs> in mm. the training for example or challenges in the training or something a little bit novel mm. um that obviously makes that training really um stick in people's minds mm. it makes them want to participate it makes it enjoyable um so anything that we can include that's unique um, and, you know, whether or not you subscribe to learning preferences, the fact is that we have a variety of activities in there is going to make it um, more, more engaging. Yeah, There's absolutely. no two ways around it. Absolutely. So, and also I think just one or two sort of housekeeping bits about making sure that the training is easy to follow. So making it brain friendly, using mm. accelerated learning principles, which we'll talk about um, in a future episode. And, you know, not cramming too much in, keeping people physically comfortable. All of these things will affect that reaction to the training. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the kind of things we should therefore be measuring if we are going to uh, do that kind of reaction level immediate evaluation. Yeah, but it's, it's why. And it comes back to it's not just so mm. that I can say, hey, I'm a great trainer. It's so mm. that I can make sure I'm providing the right environment, and the right opportunities to enable the learning which is level two yes because this is this is what we're here to do we're here to learn something new whether that's new knowledge or new skills mm. um so there's an i think most trainers this is perhaps where they focus most of their efforts isn't it is to how can we take people from knowing or being able to do x and moving them up to level y um, on things mm. So lots of things that we can do there in terms of um, making sure that our content is relevant. So this is where we talk about making sure it's relevant to the actual delegates, you know, bespoking it, putting it at the appropriate level, um, using realistic case studies, um, giving them chances to practice, giving them time to explore their own situations. Um, There's so many different things that we can build in. Um, And again, the accelerated learning principles and, you know, allowing people to, um, make meaningful connections for themselves mm. um, and access that learning in different ways, look at it from different perspectives. Um, we can't just tell people, and I'm sure nobody <laughs> listening to this podcast would think that that was acceptable anyway, um, but the days of just telling people and there's going, therefore they have been trained um, are long over. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, I mean, even with um, non-face-to-face training, so even standalone training, just you know, building in things like before and after quizzes, it's a really easy way to test mm. learning. Um, and in the face-to-face environment, you know, we do case studies, we do role plays, we ask people to present back. Um, lots of lots of different ways. It's not just right at the end of the training. We don't need people to do assignments and exams and do qualifications. We can check they've learned in other ways as they go through. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Which then brings us to level three and job performance. And this is where mm. it starts to get interesting mm. because whose responsibility is it to transfer from the training room into the workplace? Mm. I think, you know, we've got to take our part in that L and D if we're given the opportunity, but I think often it's kind of not seen as our province. Mm. Uh, but yeah, if we can, then we should be knowing what elements of the job should be changed and therefore keeping those in mind and, and designing the training to do so. And that should lead quite nicely actually into giving us a chance to say, okay, the way we're going to check that when you're back in the workplace is this, yeah. but then we need cooperation of managers and et cetera. Absolutely. Um, so it's very much a three way um, at this stage, I think. So obviously the individual has to do their bit first and foremost. Um, mm. We have to um, provide them with enough um, if I use the word stabilizers, <laughs> enough job aids and, mm. you know, crib sheets and little mm. handy hints that they can then go and apply in the workplace. Yeah. And their manager has to provide them with the opportunity and the support. And, you know, the number of times you go in and the, man the manager doesn't even alter their targets. You know, they want to try something new. And obviously that's harder. You know, we, we don't necessarily going to be efficient. So just reduce the targets, for goodness sake, mm. just for a week. Let yeah. them try new things. Absolutely. Um, so there's lots of things that we can do to help, I think, as you say, as learning designers, and it is things like providing the, the practical guides, the, uh, the crib sheets, um, mm. in the training, making sure that our examples, our scenarios um, are as true to life as possible mm. so yeah. that when we go back to the workplace, it doesn't feel like it's an alien environment. Yeah. And skills practice as well, I think. Uh, yes. you know, the more skills practice you have, the more likely it is that somebody hasn't just intellectually said, yes, I understand how to do that, but that they think, yeah, I really can do that. And next time I get the opportunity, I'm going to. Yeah. 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 And, the, and there's a much bigger consultancy piece here as well, isn't there, between um, checking sure that there's congruence. Because if you say one thing in a training room, yet accepted practice outside mm. that training room is something different, guess what they're going to do? Yeah. Um, so when we are designing, if we can um, obviously link to what is supposed to be best practice, what people should be doing, if we yeah. can link to standard operating procedures, if we can link to competence models, whatever it is the organization has got, we are helping to remove some barriers. Yeah. I've done a lot of tone of voice training uh, with organizations and designed and, and delivered. And when you're trying to get people to change the way they write, uh, mm -hmm. change their, their, their kind of style, their writing style uh, in line with a corporate kind of tone of voice. What you often get is this kind of pushback of people saying, oh, well, I, I like the idea of that. I like the idea of, you know, writing in a more human way rather than this bureaucratic way, for instance. But I know that if I start doing that, then my manager's just going to get the red pen out and they're going to correct this word to that word and so on. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the best comeback to that is to be able to say, well, actually, as part of the setup for this training, we consulted with the people at the very top level of your organization and they say absolutely 100% it is okay. If anybody corrects you, you tell you refer them to me, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's your congruence right there and you can get that in the setup for the design, I think. Yeah, and that just um, highlights the, 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 the really important point of involving those key influencers in the training design. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, whoever they are. And with that, obviously, if we have identified the right training needs mm. um, and we are applying the learning that meets those needs, we should obviously get the business impact. Mm. Um, but it's so important to agree those measures 
mm. beforehand and make sure they're realistic. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I will talk to you about um, an example that I did. Mm, please do. Um, about this, but just before I, t- I take you through how we actually did that, there was a brand new uh, manager came in partway through the project, a new L&D manager, and he said, well, once they've had all this training, if they're still not doing it, I was external, so I actually worked for a consultancy. So, so once they've had all this training, if they're still not doing it, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and, uh, and thankfully, um, I wasn't on my own in this meeting because it did knock me for six a little bit. And, and we said, actually, that's performance management. Yeah. That's not training. Yeah. Um, and so, training, training isn't a magic wand that lasts forever. <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? Go into every shop, you know, yeah. <laughs> try and help people. So, so yeah, so having the, the buy-in of those key influencers is so very important. So this was a, um, a sales course for an electrical retailer. They sadly no longer exist and I am going back a long time. So just to say they didn't have the training and then fail. It was a very long time ago and they kept going for a long time after the training. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did actually evaluate at four levels, um, which was great. Um, one of the few times I've actually been able to do it. So we have the standard happy sheet, you know, as a level one. Um, and then to check the learning, um, we actually asked everyone to complete a post-course assignment. Mm. So just to check their understanding um, of the content that was covered, um, which was marked and fed back to them. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, a real clear link into level two learning. Mm-hmm. Um, level three application to the job was actually measured by a, a number of structured observations. Mm. So of some of the techniques that we covered on the course. So, you know, how to ask questions, how to present a product, you know, how to talk about add-ons. So these various things. We, we produced um, um, an, an observation and coaching sheet. So everybody had to have three observations after the training um, and they were given feedback against this. Mm. So they could see, and it would encourage them obviously to put into practice what they'd learned on the course. And then at the business performance level, we actually um, had six metrics that we were, we were looking for. So it was, some, it was along the lines of reducing the number of cancellations, um, increasing the value of the because uh, it was a rental so in, increasing the value mm. of the rental selling add-ons and various things like that mm. Mm. so we were able to do a measure a, a before and after um, and that actually showed that across the board um, there was an increase um, in five of the six areas so that right. was pretty good good um, so we we're quite happy with that um, think- uh, go on i was just going to say i think when you do have uh, those metrics at that kind of level so long as they're you know, as long as they're worked with on the understanding that if something isn't hit, then it's not, oh, the training was a failure, but, oh, okay, it didn't hit. Was it the training? Was it something else? You know, the whole holistic yeah. thing we were talking about, that's fine. You know? Yeah. And also, mo- you know, even if it was the training, most of the training worked, but maybe we, we were a little bit off with that mm, bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is really helpful. And out of the people that actually we, um, we measured, um, the vast majority, so so 98% of the delegates who responded, and I think we had something like um, 128, something like that, mm. um, said that the application of training was the main reason for their improvement in sales. Mm. And the main reason where people didn't have the, the improvement, the, um, I think it was 78% of people said it was lack of manager support. Mm. So that's your, uh, your narrative and your qualitative stuff that we were talking about. Mm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Excellent. So that worked really well. And then just um, very briefly, very top line as another way of evaluating training. And it's something that we don't get the opportunity to do as often as I would like. 
is to set up a pure pilot group. Mm. Um, and this is something I did very many years ago when I was still employed. We, we took one division when I worked for an insurance company. Mm. Um, and and every, all the salespeople got the same training, um, but mm. this one division got a bit of extra. Yeah. Um, and the idea was, I think they were second to bottom. There were 12 divisions. They were 10th. And after three months, I think they'd moved up to something like sixth. Excellent. Um, so the only thing that was different was that training. Yeah. Um, but that was actually quite costly <laughs> Yeah, when, sure when we looked at it. <laughs> but it worked. So It makes me think about the scientific method, really, actually, because if you think about it, you know, with evaluation, we're often, particularly if we're going down that more data side, trying to be quite scientific. And, and if, if, you, if you're trying to use the kind of scientific way of thinking about it, then you want to isolate. And that's mm. what was then was the difficulty in isolating. And one of the ways to isolate is having a control group an experimental group so you're able yeah. to say okay yeah these everything else was the same apart from this one thing i training no training yeah uh, and here's the difference yeah, yeah. i mean we, we were only able to do that because the uh, the divisional manager was was completely for it and he was willing to take his people off the road to attend extra training and mm. you know so you know credit to him at least he was mm. willing to take that risk yeah. so but, but that was interesting fantastic there's one other example I've got, which is when I was doing a management and development program for, and, and all the managers, although they were the same level, they've had very, very different roles. So we're covering quite broad topics. So let's say we were talking about delegation or prioritization in one of the courses. So they all had to go away and they could choose. They had an assignment to check their learning, um, but then they all had to choose one thing to go and apply. So they all chose different things. That was fine because it depended on their job but then they had to come back with a mini case study to say what they did, the effect it had um, on them and their immediate team, and if it affected the business and what that effect mm, was. Mm. Um, so not we couldn't always do that, but sometimes we could, and it, it was really, really helpful for them to see that even just making quite a simple change had this mm. enormous knock-on effect. It, it, was, you know, it was quite inspiring, and it helped them to keep going. Yeah, that's almost that 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 Brinkerhoff success case kind of case study yeah. kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, Excellent. yeah. Good stuff. So I think you know we could probably talk about this all day, but I think my view is is that um, evaluation is good, <laughs> and <laughs> we should definitely aim to do it, but we shouldn't get hung up on stats. Um, there's more than one way to evaluate a training program, and we have to remember. Um, what what are we evaluating for? Is it just to justify our own existence? Is it to learn? Um, is it to prove some sort of return investment? Is it so that we can get more investment in training? Um, and we have to sometimes be a little bit creative um, about it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'd go with that. I'm, I'm just going to summarize a couple of things that I've been jotting down as we've spoken to kind of jog people's memories at the end, okay. maybe. So we talked about reasons that people don't evaluate, uh, in particular, the fact that it's hard to isolate the source of improvement, uh, the fact that it's time consuming, the fact that it's costly. But we talked about some deep questions really about what should we measure learning versus impact and the difference perhaps between should and can and acknowledging that sometimes it's easier than on other occasions. Some stuff there about thinking uh you know thinking through some of those models and, and not getting too bogged down in theory but thinking you know are, is something we're doing measuring attendance or is it measuring learning or is it measuring application and, and if so at what level what i thought was quite interesting was about risk and about the idea that uh you know we've all got to be prepared to take that risk that the evaluation might not be perfect and that we shouldn't it shouldn't be a back passing exercise but should be about 
being able to acknowledge uh, that we, the whole entire team of people responsible for the change in behavior, uh, maybe haven't got it perfect, if that's what the evaluation says. Uh, and that led into our whole thing about the, the more holistic we can be, the better. And then we just had lots and lots of practical stuff about how we might uh, evaluate and how we might make a difference in the training design to, to the results of the evaluation at the uh, reaction level, at the learning level, at the job performance level, and at the impact level, as well as a couple of wider case studies, which I think are really interesting to see some best practice there. Yeah. So I think some great stuff uh, and, and a timely reminder for me to, to always keep it in mind. Yeah, and do you know what, as you've just gone through that summary, Terry, the thing that just came into my mind is having that clear line of sight the whole time, mm. that really, really specific, that measurable outcome that the training is there to, to achieve, um, and as long as we keep that clear in our minds, we, we shouldn't go far wrong and we shouldn't be scared of evaluation. Excellent. So that's quite a large and potentially serious topic. So um, I'm hoping, Terry, you've got something maybe a little bit lighter or a different train of thought that you want to talk about this week. Yeah, it's funny you should say that, actually. Uh, so I was thinking about the mini topics we've done in the last few weeks, and I thought it'd be nice to have something that wasn't kind of pontificating or ranting <laughs> or anything else like that. It was just... <laughs> Really simple and practical, actually. Not that there's anything wrong with pontificating or ranting. But um, <laughs> so I, uh, I thought back to the, the topics from last season that went down quite well. And I thought about uh, PowerPoint and the PowerPoint episode that we did being really well subscribed. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, Surprising. Definitely. And I also thought then uh, just something popped in recently, actually, into my head because I ran a quiz. I've been doing quite a lot of quizzes in the lockdown. I'm one of those people that's quite into that. And I remembered one thing for, for these uh, Zoom quizzes that, that, I, that I did previously, which, which I've done previously in training, training mm -hmm. design, uh, which worked really well for the quiz. Um, so I'm going to give people a tip about how they might use that in their PowerPoint, whether they're training, designing training or whether they're designing quizzes. So um, it is about uh, being able to, uh, instead of having your click, when you click in a slide on PowerPoint, instead of that just advancing the next element, having it so that it can advance whatever element you click on. So, Sounds like witchcraft. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually really easy and it's really, really handy. So in the, for, for instance, in the quiz, the way we used it was I said, okay, here is a category. So give me, I'm just trying to think what, what categories I use now. I said, uh, here are, uh, on, the, on this slide, I have the 10 most common garden birds that I found in the UK but actually there's nothing they can see on the slide. So all they've right. got to do is try and guess one of the 10 things that's hidden on the slide. And as soon as they say sparrow, I click the place on the slide where I know sparrow is, 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 is lying hidden and sparrow appears. Wow. And so on and so forth throughout the whole slide until all 10 are revealed, but in the order that they say them, not in the order that I prepared earlier. Wow. Um, which, you know, it's actually, it's, I think it looks and sounds pretty impressive, but it's actually really simple. Um, and you can do that really well, I think, in training. I've definitely done it in training where, you know, there is a set definite number of answers. It's not like, you know, any answer could be right. You know, here are the answers, but rather than me give them to you, I'm going to try and make you work for them. Yeah. Uh, that's where I think it works really well in training. And as much as on an on a audio, uh, we can do something that's, that's involving giving people tips on, on how to do something. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and uh, just give that tip now. And it is really simple. It's just the animations... Yeah. Normally what we have when we do an animation is that we have it that the animation happens just in, in a certain order. So you get one, two, three, four, and they just yeah. happen in that order. On the animation pane, if you go into any individual animation, you get some options. 
And yeah. one of them is when that animation happens and you can have it happen on click yes. on, on click on the uh, element itself. Ah, right. So, so if I just say, forget about the 10 garden birds, let's say I've got two garden birds, let's yeah, say I've got yeah. a sparrow and a blue tit and they're hidden by two white squares. Yeah. Then I, uh, on those two white squares, I just have an animation that's disappear, a disappear yeah. animation on click and on click of that item. So if I click the left square, the animation that's activated is item one disappears. If I click the right square, the animation that's activated is item two disappears. Very good. So it's simple as that, really. Um, if you have listened to that and mess around with the animation pane, I'm pretty sure anyone will be able to get it if they're not doing it already. It's just about going into the, uh, the, the item that you cut, you cover up your, your picture mm. or your word with a blank square and you get that blank square to disappear on click and on click of itself as an yeah. item. Do you know, this, this, I mean, PowerPoint this has got so many little things that have, it's snuck in that are amazing. Um, mm. So it, it now has a Zoom function, which has nothing mm. to do with the video conferencing, which is quite something. Yeah. Um, and you can have add-ins now, and that has changed my world, particularly for virtual training. So we can add in things like Mentimeter and Poll Everywhere yeah. actually yeah. into the slide. And yeah. it makes it so much easier than having to go off your platform all the time, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it makes it a little bit more fun because PowerPoint can, as we've said before, get pretty dull. Yeah. But I mean, what you've just described there is another great way of um, having interaction in virtual training, isn't it? So yes. particularly if you yeah, like say you've got a number of things and you know what you want people to come up with eventually. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. If, if only, if only this were not, not a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So that brings us to the end of episode number eight in season two, which means that season two is over already. I can't believe it. How quickly mm. has that gone? Yeah, it really has. It really has. Yeah, it really has. <laughs> but, it's, you know, time flies, as they say, when you're having fun. So I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Me too. And wasn't it great having some um, guests in this mm, season Yeah, as well? yeah. Huge thanks to our guests. Uh, it was really, really good having both Claire and Jeanette on. Yeah, they yeah. really added something. And, you know, the other people to thank are, are, are our listeners. Uh, it wouldn't be much of a podcast without you. No, definitely not, no. <laughs> so the next time I think you're going to hear from us, uh, listeners, is we're going to do a little follow-up to season two and also to your reactions to it uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So this is your real opportunity if you want to have a burning question about the season about any of the topics or something you want to have us comment on in some way uh, so it's almost like a little bonus ninth episode to the season but not with a topic just reviewing the whole season a whole top a whole set of topics uh, and if you want anything to appear on that just let us know yeah great great opportunity for you to get yourself a name check um say if you've got any any questions if you've got any comments if you've got um you know, if maybe if you have a different perspective on something mm. you just want us to explore that there's you know we you know just within reason put it on the table and we'll do what we can with it absolutely as well as any suggestions for topics for season three absolutely yeah raring to go <laughs> the place as always is the uh, training design podcast facebook group or if you want to get in touch with us either of us individually uh, by all means my linkedin terry pierce or my website untoldplay.com and you can find me on linkedin as well easy to find sheridan webb and you can join me in the training designers club either as a free member in the in the facebook group or you can become a fully paid up vip member with lots of additional benefits as well thanks very much great as always sheridan as always and we'll i'll see you again in a couple of weeks for the review and then we'll start planning season three brilliant cheers bye